Welcome to the Start Me Up podcast, part of the Demcast Network. I'm Kimberly Johnson in D.C. Today I've got some good news and I've got some bad news. So, bad news first. Steph Walton was supposed to be here, but she had jury duty, and that's a long story, and we're going to go over it next Wednesday when she will be here. I said earlier this week that having her on is like having comfort food, so I'm just going to have to hold off on those mashed potato Stephanie comfort food conversations, um, and we will be talking next week. Good news, two pieces. Number one, Ryan Knight, otherwise known as Proud Resister on Twitter, will join me today, and we're going to talk about that fucked up State of the Union and the Iowa caucus. We're also obviously going to be talking about Elizabeth Warren, because I don't think there's any bigger supporter than Ryan. He loves Warren. So do I. But, you know, he's definitely out there every day tweeting about her and uh, really, really talking her up. So we're going to have a lot to talk about. There's so much to cover. Um, The other little bit of good news is the doctor called me the other day, yesterday, and he told me that that lump on my throat that was removed was totally benign. (sighs) I had a feeling, but it's good to know. Um, Just FYI, whenever I have guests on, I always like, you know, say goodbye to them and then I add a little bit at the end. So I don't know if my regular listeners know that if they if they think the show is over when we say goodbye, but it isn't. So just keep that in mind. I usually do like I guess you could call it an outro, right? So this is my intro. I do an outro and just FYI on that. Before we get started, for the month of February, I'm going to be donating 5% of the podcast earnings to Planned Parenthood. And if you're new to the show, the Start Me Up podcast is supported by listeners. I don't have corporate funding. And right now I'm not using advertisers. That means the show survives on your support. It's an indie podcast and women run, or I should say woman run. A great reason to support the show, right? It's woman run. Please consider becoming a patron for any dollar amount at patreon.com slash startmeup. When you sign up for $1, you get each podcast delivered to your email box, and it's an inexpensive way to see if you like the show. You can always upgrade later, and the more patrons there are, the more money that goes to Planned Parenthood. $5 gets you into the patrons-only segment, which is recorded at least two times a month. Sometimes I have a guest and sometimes I'm solo. It's usually a little, little bit more personal than the free show. I did one on Monday, and because I only did one last month, there's going to be two more patrons-only shows this month. If you'd like to make a one-time donation, just check out the text of the Patreon description of this show, or any show, and I include my PayPal info. Sometimes people like to take that route. Sometimes they want to sign up to uh, get that show in their email box. Either way, I appreciate it, and thank you. Uh, You can find Start Me Up on iTunes, Stitcher, and wherever podcasts are found. I'm going to ask if you could please become a subscriber on iTunes and then give the show a positive review and a rating. So like a review, write out something that, you know, I like Kimberly's show or, or I like Start Me Up or whatever. And then rating just, you know, five star rating is always preferred. So I'm just going to go with that. <laughs> All right. That's it for the intro. Now, please enjoy my conversation with proud resistor Ryan Knight. Welcome, Ryan. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Well, it's good to, to be ha- here. Yeah, it's good to have you here, and especially on today. Um, there's, we're going to talk about so much, and I know, I mean, I when I introduced you, for anyone who doesn't know, which I can't imagine that would be, you are like one of Warren's biggest supporters, and we're definitely going to talk about the Iowa caucus and all the crap that's going on there and what, you know, there's good and bad. But uh, before we start on that, Let's talk about that crazy fucking State of the Union. 
Mm. <laughs> oh my God. You know what? I'll tell you, I, I was thinking that perhaps it was going to be a shit show. I thought he's going to like hold a rally and do all that, but he didn't. And he was able to, um, I guess like there was, a, it seemed to me that there was a point where he realized it was going okay. And he got some confidence. And from that moment forward, you know, he and I wrote something like this on Twitter. His teeth didn't fall out. He only made one or two errors in pronouncing words, and he was able to get through the whole thing without like falling down. And so, therefore, because the bar is so low with him, people, including Van Jones, well, I don't know if Van Jones said he was presidential, but you know, it's the appearance of like, oh, he's presidential because he didn't completely fuck up. And it just right. it frustrates me because we the bar shouldn't be that low. And, he, you know, he at the beginning of the, uh, the State of the Union, he was doing all those. And I guess he was doing it throughout. But those, you know, those sniffs in between words. And it was just, it, you know, and it was awful. And then, of course, all the lying. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that that to me is look, you're right in the sense that he. He sounded coherent right. for Trump. That's the standard. Yeah. But he didn't get through a sentence without telling a lie. And, you know, this to me was actually, this was hit Trump's most dangerous state of the union because he talked about a booming economy. Mm-hmm. But in reality, income inequality is at a 50-year high. He talked about protecting Medicare and Social Security, but in reality, he's making cuts to those important mm-hmm. social programs. You know, he talked about law and order and, you know, but in reality, he is a lawless president. Mm-hmm. So the danger is that he, that it's all a lie. It's yeah. all a facade, right? And, and I really think that, you know, if we drill down a little bit, um, especially in the economy, because that is going to be what Trump touts when he runs for re-election, and that is what he's going to tout when he goes into swing states like Michigan and Pennsylvania and Wisconsin. And I've been barking about this a long time at the Democrats. (laughs) We need to be very clear about this point. The economy is not booming for working people. And I don't care if the economy is booming for, for Wall Street and for wealthy CEOs. Because the Democratic Party, we have to be the party of Main Street yeah. and every and everyday Americans. And when you look at the facts, I wrote a few facts down for us so, so we could be centered in the truth today, um, unlike Trump. Income inequality in America is at a 50-year high. Wow. 40 million Americans are living in poverty. And 140 million Americans are either poor or low income. They have... Co- America is broken yeah. and we need big structural change. Yeah. And um, I mean, this would be such a perfect segue, wouldn't it? <laughs> Who's going to offer us that structural change? <laughs> right. Well, I think before we segue, we can't. One of the one of the silver linings of last night amidst all these lies. And I've been saying this for a little bit and I know you have, too, is that for a while, you know, when, when you have a, a, a lawless president like Donald Trump and a Republican Party that's this complicit, after a while, you got to ask yourself, because they're so emboldened. Like, mm-hmm. why are they so emboldened? I know. And, and when you break down the case, one of the things, you know, sometimes it's, it's really easy for us as Democrats to point the finger at Donald Trump yeah. and point the finger at the Republican Party because there's so much corruption. 
But we also have to point the finger back at ourselves. Mm-hmm. And we have to take inventory of our own party. And, and this is that moment where we can't be the doormat party anymore, mm-hmm. if you will. Right. Like, Democrats have to toughen up. We have to have the courage to fight back. And last night, we saw Democrats fighting back. Mm-hmm. We saw Ayanna Presley and uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Maxine Waters not even go mm-hmm. to the State of the Union. You know, they boycotted. And we saw uh, other Democrats get up and walk out, like Tim Ryan in Ohio, you know, because manufacturing in Ohio is in a recession. And, and what Trump was in the middle of telling a lie, and, and Tim Ryan just got up and walked out. Yeah. And then I think the ultimate was seeing how speak, what Speaker Pelosi did at the very end. <laughs> she just took that speech full of lies, and she ripped it in half. And I think that symbolizes the energy that Democrats yeah. and the fight that Democrats have to bring to November. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I was telling a friend the other day, if our party fights for our progressive values as hard as Trump and the Republican mm-hmm. Party fights for their white nationalist values, <laughs> then we will win big in November. Yes, I totally agree. And I mean, that's one thing, you know, I, I don't necessarily like calling out Democrats. Um, I did that in, uh, when was it? In 20, I think it was 2013. I was, you know, an ERA advocate and there were some... <laughs> Uh, Democratic senators who were not necessarily on board to remove the uh, re- the expired deadline to the amendment, and so there was a group of us that was like pushing them to do it. And I'm not going to get into all the details of it, but basically what I would do is I'd like push on one, and I would say, "Hey, I'm going to write a blog post about this, and I want to know why you're not removing." the deadline and I would get a little bit of pushback and then uh you know eventually there were a few that I I did I wrote like an unfavorable blog post that went out all over at least at the time there was a huge Facebook presence that I had uh many different political pages so those blog posts actually did work in some cases and it it, it got the attention of those senators and you know eventually they did sign to uh or like you know sign on to get that expired deadline removed but it made me feel like shit I don't like going after our own, but I think it's extremely important that we hold our Democratic representatives accountable. And, you know, I mean, when you saw last night, you know, I think Steve Schmidt referred to he he, he referred to Mike Pence's behavior toward Donald Trump as sniveling servility. And I think that accurately represents the entire party's stance and the way that they behave, especially last night. Now, we're all used to seeing, you know, the clapping where one side claps and the other doesn't we're, we're used to that so that's nothing new but it was it was beyond that last night there was this tone that was kind of like Donald Trump is the king and so I agree with you that I mean and it's it's a critique of our own party but it's also more of like a loving push a loving urge yes. to say yes we you know we're not here to create divide. We're not here to point our fingers and go, bad, bad Democrats. We're here to say, come on, man. We have something great, and we have to emphasize that, and we have to get, you know, I mean, look, there is a certain amount of, I want to say this, too, because I think it's really important. You know, I know Joe Biden got a lot of shit for talking about um, working with Republicans, and it's very clear why, because Mitch McConnell is... (laughs) 
in my opinion, like the devil. And, and he's an obstructionist and he's a horrible man. And most of the Democrats, right, I'm sorry, most of the Republicans right now are, are basically just into obstruction or calling us snowflakes. But there's one shining fucking light, you know, that I, I, I keep pointing to. And I, I had the number wrong initially, but it was seven. Seven Republicans voted with Democrats in Virginia this year to ratify the Equal Rights Amendment. And so what that tells me is I don't think Democrats should be bowing down or catering or caving to Republicans. But I think there's an opportunity there. Um, you know, maybe like when we take back the Senate and if we get the presidency and we keep the House... Republicans are going to be more willing to work with us because they're going to need to work with us. Just like right now, there are Democrats that are worried about pleasing, you know, like Democrats in red states who are worried about pleasing, you know, Trump supporters. We can reverse that if we show up and have a big, huge blue flood. But I think that, you know, and, and, and I'm not saying that I'm, I'm, I'm going to vote for whoever the de- Democratic nominee is, and I'm trying very, very hard to just uh, leave ones that I'm not fond of alone <laughs> because right. I just, you know, I figure, look, right now we've got our camps. People, there are some undecideds, but give me a break. Uh, most people know who they like. Most people know who they prefer. And I'm, I'm hoping most people say, no matter what, I'm going to vote for the Democratic nominee because we all know that whoever that is, it's going to be, I think it's going to be between Bernie, Pete Buttigieg, which I don't think it's going to be him, Warren, and possibly Biden. We'll see what happens yep. on Super Tuesday. Yep, I, um, I would agree with you. Yeah, so I mean, out of all of those people, uh, obviously you and I, we have our preference with Warren, but hey, they're all going to be decent presidents. Maybe they're not going to be preferred, but they'll be decent. But, uh, but I think that it's important to notice that right now, in a terrible, divided country, we had seven Democrats that voted for gender equality, for constitutional gender equality. And I don't even remember why I brought this up, but I think we were talking about the fact that we have to urge our our party. And, and I think it just goes to, yes, we have to urge our party. And I think we also have to kind of like just understand that there might be, there might be a possibility that some Republicans would be willing to work with us. Not to the extent where I think they're going to have an epiphany, because I don't think that's going to happen. But, yes. uh, you know, I, I think that they're, you know, Joe Walsh, who's running for president, has said time and again that there are a lot of Republicans out there who don't like Trump, but they're not saying it. And so I'm just kind of hoping that there's, you know, that I think that there's a lot of people in Congress who don't like him, but they have to go along with him. And why? I don't know. I mean, what the fuck? What the fuck? I mean, is it just because they're afraid of losing their seats? What's going on? Right. Well, here's the way I look at it. And and you're you're making some great points. I I am not against bipartisanship at all. I am all for working with the Republican Party. Yeah. However, if the Republican Party is willing to work with us. Right. And when you look at – when you just look at America right now and you look at – what the American people want, right? 75% of the American people wanted witnesses in the trial. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? We didn't get witnesses yep. in the trial. You know, so the, we have a party that has become a far right mm-hmm. extremist like white nationalist party yeah. who is going against the will of the American people. Yeah. So, and then if we look at just other, if we just look at other things, the majority of the American people support universal health care. Mm-hmm. The majority of the American people support bold action on climate change. The majority of the American people support common sense gun reform. Yeah. So when you just look at the three most 
you know, the three big issues from healthcare to gun violence uh, to climate change, the, the, the will of the people is on our side, yeah. right? And we're also the majority party. So <laughs> let's start acting like the majority party. And I, what I would say is the disconnect that's happening. So the reason we, we don't have action on gun violence and we don't have universal health care uh, and we don't have bold action on climate change is because we haven't had uh, politicians who have the courage to fight for them. Yeah. So that's where it breaks down for me. You know, there, there's some in our party who think that, you know, that we need to nibble around the edges of these big problems mm-hmm. and that yeah. and that we need to kind of compromise our values before while we're campaigning before we're even at the table with Republicans. Yeah. And I would say, like, no, like no. we need to fight for our progressive values yeah. because it's what I look at it is like it's a conviction issue, right? It's it's a it's a how the the Republicans unapologetically fight for their white nationalist yeah. values. And, you know, they're wrong about everything, but they fight unapologetically for it. So they bring some people in the center and some independents along. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, Democrats, you know, we're not we kind of run away from our values and we don't fight for them unapologetically like the Republicans do. And when you lack that conviction, that shows, you know, there's an old saying, I think it was Bill Clinton. It's one of my favorite thing expressions of his. He said that uh, strong and wrong will always be weak and right. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, you know, the Republicans are very strong in their argument, even though what they're arguing for is wrong. Mm-hmm. And I'd say a lot of times we're right on the positions and on the issues. But when we go to argue for them, we come from a weak standpoint. And so this is what attracted me to Elizabeth Warren is because she fights unapologetically for her bold, progressive, compassionate vision for America. Yes. And I think... When the majority of the American people support that bold vision, then let's go for it. And the other thing I'll just add is, you know, we don't just need these big ideas to solve these big problems and these systemic issues in our economy and in our healthcare system and in our political system. But we also need these big ideas to inspire people to get out and vote. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's it's a two thing. It's not just big ideas for the big problems. It's also big ideas to win the argument against Republicans and to get more people on our side and to make a compelling case for for why we need a, a better America and for why we need a more equitable America yeah. and a healthier America. You know, um, that to me what what is what 2020 is about and uh i'm with you you know i will vote blue no matter who in the general Mm -hmm. but i think in the primary when all of the candidates are blue i think democracy it's important to allow democracy to unfold yeah and to allow these debates to to happen you know i have a friend who's very very moderate and you know as you might as you maybe can tell i'm very very progressive and (laughs) We were having a very good, healthy conversation the the other day, and he was really worried about unity. And I told him, like, I'm not as worried about unity because I said, look, I look at it this way. I want a progressive president. You want a, a more moderate president. But we both agree at the end of the day that a progressive president and a moderate president 
will be better than a criminal president. Yeah. And he just started shaking his head, you know, and, and it's really that simple. Like, let's have this this debate in the primary and let's let democracy unfold and let's exchange these ideas because, you know, candidates have different ideas on how to get the job done. Mm-hmm. And then in the general, we're going to unite behind our candidate. And I think one thing we have going for us in 2020 that we didn't have in 2016 is I knew who Donald Trump was in 2016, but a lot of people didn't. didn't. He fooled a lot of people. (laughs) So this time I really do his, his corruption, his lawlessness, his lies. That is going to be what unites us in the general. Donald Trump essentially is going to be the great uniter of the democratic party (laughs) because from the progressive wing to the more moderate wing, we all oppose his lawlessness and his corruption. So I actually, you know, I, I'm always kind of, I don't know if I, I, I'm kind of a natural rebel, um, but I always kind of see the other side of things. I think what's less helpful actually is when people try in our party sometimes try to cut off the debate mm-hmm. because what that does is it's like a pressure cooker. And so if we're not having these conversations and we're not listening to people, you know, when someone, I, I hear someone who's very passionate about climate change and they're a younger voter. And then I hear like an you know older, more moderate voter try to kind of shut them up and tell them, you know, oh, yeah, you know, you'll get change, but, you know, you got to wait for change or, or whatever. It's like when we shut someone up, we are silencing their voice and, and, and we're silent and, and we don't want to silence anybody's voice. We don't want to we want everyone's vote to matter. Mm-hmm. Right. We want to bring more politics. It's about addition, not subtraction. So we need all these younger voters who are out there marching for climate change. And we need all these younger voters who are passionate about gun violence. And, you know, I will say that in 2016, as an activist who who, try, who works my hardest to get out the vote, what did we learn in 2016? We learned that the biggest political party in America is not the Republican Party and is not the Democratic Party. It's the non-voter party. Yes, I wrote an Over article on that. Over 100 million yeah. people didn't vote. Mm-hmm. And we, this is another point where we have to look within ourselves and ask ourselves, why are so many people not voting? Mm-hmm. And this is where, as a party, we need to expand our coalition. You know, when I turn on MSNBC or CNN, I hear over and over this constant talk about the Trump voter in Michigan or the Trump voter in Wisconsin. You know, guess what? In those swing states, there are other voters that exist besides Trump voters. (laughs) There are voters of color. There are women voters. There are younger voters. And there are what I call Mm non-voters, people who are disenchanted with both political parties. And they just throw up their hands and they don't think politics matters. So let's make politics matter. Let's make their vote matter. Let's speak to their issues and speak to their struggles. And let's bring them back in the political process. I think sometimes we're so focused on trying to win over and Mm -hmm. pander to Republicans that we miss and we don't realize, like, we need to spend less time and less focus pandering to Trump voters who are probably going to vote for Trump anyways Mm -hmm. and more time reaching out to the 100 million Americans who didn't vote and more time energizing our own voters and our own base and more time, you know, energizing independent voters and especially energizing younger voters Mm -hmm. and voters of color. 
Yes. That's how we're going to beat Donald Trump. Yeah, and I wrote actually not too long ago, I said it's not Hillary who got his Trump. It's not Bernie who got its Trump. It's the people who didn't vote who got his Trump. And I firmly believe that even though there's a lot of people arguing with me on that post. It's funny. But I've been saying for quite some time, and I wish the Democratic Party, I wish I had access to somebody in the Democratic Party who was open because I think that, you know, I mean, I'm going to be 52 this year. So I grew up watching um, Saturday morning cartoons, which, you know, had... You know, there were those schoolhouse rock things, you know, I'm just a bill on Capitol Hill. And then right. there, there was a, num- a number of things that were just like learning, whether it was grammar or whatever. But I think the Democratic Party should, you know, the whether it's the DNC or I don't know how it would work and who it would be, but there's money in the Democratic Party. I think some of that money should be set aside for an education program with like celebrities and kids or something and like have children and you could just make YouTube videos or you could do Twitter things or whatever it is. And you could have like a really popular celebrity talking to a kid who explains why the Senate is so important when it comes to uh, voting for Supreme Court justices or something like that. So it could be they could utilize humor and everyone loves kids. They could utilize kids. They could utilize, uh, you know, celebrities who could offer their time instead of, you know, charging for it. Celebrities who have all kinds of money could offer, you know, one day to go make this video where they're talking about whatever, you know, law or this or that. And, you know, I mean, that could be one thing that the Democrats do. But I think one of the problems that we've dealt with, and I also wish, you know, I mean, obviously Warren talks about this, but the constant cuts in education over the years have resulted in an electorate who doesn't understand government. And when I was young and not paying attention and I say this a lot, I think that I would have paid more attention if I understood that the president nominates a Supreme Court justice and then the, the Senate votes on that person. Now, if somebody would have said to me, Kimberly, hey, the Supreme Court votes on things like reproductive rights and, you know, gay marriage and things that are going to, uh, you know, have something to do with you, things that I care about. If I would have realized that, I might have been a little bit more interested in politics. But, you know, I mean, I was just, it wasn't even that I rose my hands up and said, oh, both parties are the same. I didn't even pay attention. I was just, you know, I cared out about guys and earning my money so I could go have fun on the weekends. Politics was the last thing from my mind. But it's because I wasn't really, um, there was nothing pulling me in. Nobody was yeah. saying, hey, Kimberly, come here, look at this. And I think the Democrats would be, uh, smart to, you know, I mean, we saw Barack Obama knows how to get young people interested. And I think that he should be part of some kind of, you know, planning or outreach. I just really, truly, you know, to what you said, you make a great point. We as a party uh, should do more to get people who are not interested in politics engaged, because absolutely, we're never going to, you know, we might win over a few disgruntled Trump people. But those people, for the most part now, are they're in a cult. You know, jo- Joe Walsh, who's, you know, running for president the other day, he, he's a Republican. He's a conservative. But he did this whole thread. And I guess he gave some speech in Iowa, and there was maybe 3,000 people. And all he kept saying is, like, everything I said, they booed. They booed. He's like, I'm never going to get elected. This is a cult. And, you know, something has to change. And regardless of the fact that I don't share his ideology, I share his opinion that, you know, this— this whole Trump thing has gone off the fucking rails and Democrats would be well served to, 
you know, take a cue from Elizabeth Warren and really push up what can be done and how it will benefit you and how it will yeah. make a difference in your wallet, because that's what people give a shit about. You know, they care right. about how they're going to pay for for dinner for their kids. Absolutely. Yeah. Kitchen table issues. Well, yeah. When we get, it, the what's interesting about this moment in our history, and we saw this in the midterms, uh, in the blue wave, uh, the millennials and Generation Z, the turnout for younger voters was was up significantly from 2016. Mm-hmm. So we're already seeing the the impact uh, that younger voters can have. You know, younger voters, uh, women voters, voters of color. We were a huge part of the of the midterms in the 2018 blue yes. wave, and we've also seen you know from the Parkland kids to the Sunrise Movement. You know the the the, the the college kids who started the Sunrise Movement, the, the fight against climate change, mm-hmm. and we're seeing with Greta Thunberg, you know, internationally, we are seeing the younger generation way more involved in politics. Yes. The thing is, is the, the younger generation is significantly more progressive than, yes. than the generation above me. Um, and even my generation, like millennials, we're very progressive. But the generation below me, Generation Z, are significantly progressive. Mm-hmm. So, like when you check, when you when you look at the polling uh, for the primary, for example, uh, Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders have literally dominated. It's like they have almost seventy eight percent of the young vote, yeah. right? Of the college vote, of the Generation Z vote, and of the millennial vote. And and you know they understand what's happening. You know, that's the thing is these kids are smart. Like they understand that the climate crisis is bearing down upon us. And they understand that the reason we don't see change and the reason we don't have a Green New Deal is because the big oil uh, and the fossil fuel industry controls Washington and, and essentially controls our government. And they understand that the reason we don't see common sense gun reform is that the NRA has bought off the Republican Party. So... Right now, I think it's less about educating them. These kids are smart. Yeah, they are. It's more what's what's more about harnessing their energy, and not kind of and not being like, okay, you know, wait your turn. You know, you know, we gotta wait. Change is slow. It's like, uh, wait your turn. We need these. We need these younger voters to turn out because if we can get a massive mobilization of younger voters on November third, twenty twenty. We win, Kimberly. Yeah. We will we will trounce. We won't have a blue wave. We'll have a blue tsunami. Yeah. So the way I look at it, the, the challenge in our party, look at the Republican Party. You don't ever see the the establishment and the Republican Party attacking their own voters. You know, the establishment and the Democratic Party, sometimes they they work against us in ways mm-hmm. that instead of harnessing this great progressive movement that's happening, they kind of kind of you know, they, they kind of are resistant to it and they're resistant to the bold change that we need and they're resistant to progress. And, and that resistance to it isn't going to help us turn out the vote in, in, you know, in November. Mm-hmm. So I agree that we, we need to do more, but it's also a matter of like, we also need to find the candidate who can, who can build a coalition of voters that is, that, that appeals to every generation. Yeah. Right. And if you look at the polling, the one candidate who actually 
brings in a very broad coalition is Elizabeth, Elizabeth Warren. Warren. Yeah, she does. She Her actually support, has the broadest Even board. though, like, you know, she, she finished top three in Iowa. She, she finished five points higher than expected. She overperformed, whereas Joe Biden significantly underperformed in mm-hmm. Iowa and finished a distant fourth. But with, when you look at Elizabeth's coalition, it's literally split 50-50. It's 50% people who voted for Hillary in 2016, and it's 50% people who voted for Bernie in 2016. So interesting. So, so it's moderate, and it's a progressive coalition. But then if you also look at the age of her, of her support, mm-hmm. she's getting support from baby boomers, but she's also getting support from Generation Z. Uh, millennials and generation X. Mm-hmm. So she's, po- she's pulling from all generations. And so that is, you know, if Elizabeth Warren isn't the nominee, we do need, you know, the, the thing about Elizabeth Warren is that like Bernie, she's progressive, but she's also, you know, like, but like Biden understands that, that we won't have any progressive change unless we use the, the levers of government correctly. Unless we understand that, it's not going to happen overnight. Yes, we have to fight for the change that we need, but we also have to fight for it within the constraints of our government. And so I like her approach a little bit better than Bernie's because it's a little bit more pragmatic than Bernie's approach. Mm-hmm. But I also, you know, I also agree with Bernie that like we need to fight for these big, big, bold issues mm-hmm. because if we don't, then nothing's going to change, you know? And if nothing changes, if we don't have any fundamental change, that means that working people will keep struggling, yeah. right? That means the racial wealth gap will keep getting wider. You know, that means the climate crisis will keep bearing down on our communities. That means the gun violence epidemic is going to keep getting worse. So we need to have the courage. and We need Democrats who have the courage to fight back against the corporate greed that has taken over our government. Yeah, we and to fight back yeah, we... against big oil and to fight back against the NRA. Yes, and we you know, can't allow. Very, yeah, we can't allow a part of it because if they don't, then we're just going to see this kind of endless cycle of Republicans are very emboldened and Democrats are always kind of being very accommodating and cautious. Know? I think I think the term is cautious because I think that we're. I mean, it's not to say this is anything new. I mean, we've seen this in past elections where you know every every election is important, but this election is like the most important election of our lifetime and that can literally be said about every election but in this case it's has its own specific meaning and i think that the wrong thing to do is allow fear to dictate how we proceed and i think that's what a lot of people are doing because we are very fearful a lot of us are very fearful i mean i i I always talk about this woman that i know who's a african-american woman and she you know she loves elizabeth warren sincerely but she believes within her heart and has from day one that biden is the one to do this and she specifically told me and i've seen this on the internet uh with different people tweeting out the same thing, like high profile, you know, Jonathan Capehart and a couple of other people mentioned that, you know, people in the black and brown communities feel like this is a fight between white men and that it has to be fought between white men. And it's not to say that they feel that only a white man can can beat Trump, but I think that's kind of the overall feeling is that, okay, this is a fight between white people and they have to duke it out. And the one thing that I will say, you know, I mean, I... I'm with you 100% on everything you say about Warren. I agree with you. Um, and I, I, she needs to be the nominee. She needs to be our president. But then I also have to step back because I was so burned 
last and it's burned uh, last time around because I, I mean, I cried when, and I, yeah. I'm not a Bernie supporter anymore and I, I, I'm not very comfortable with him. I will vote for him, but it's just lots of reasons why. Um, but beyond that, uh, at the time, and I still maintain what I like about Bernie is his big vision, as his bold vision is just like, come on, yeah. let's, you know, let's not yeah. be afraid to make a big step. I think Warren is the one to get us there, but that's initially why I really liked Sanders. And so, you know, I remember sitting at the sexy liberal comedy tour with Stephanie Miller and, you know, it was right after Hillary had become the nominee. And so Stephanie had played, uh, I think Bernie's commercial, you know, his ad with, with whatever Simon and Garfunkel song that went along with it. And I was crying, you know I mean? I cried when he lost and then I cried during that. So I cried a couple of times and, um, you know, but I feel like this woman that I speak to, she's black, she's 47 years old and I can't imagine what it's like for her. I know she works seven days a week. She, you know, she has one job that she goes to five days a week and then she has her works at the grocery store on the weekends. And I, I think she has children and, you know, I mean, I don't know what it's like for her to be a, a, a black woman living in America, especially under Trump. And I feel that she, you know, has a certain set of concerns that privilege you know, shields me from, I mean, I can understand them, but I don't worry about my child being murdered because they were pulled over by a police officer. And so like, she, she is feeling like, okay, this fight is between white men, but I disagree with that in that. I think you're right. I think the fight has to be about, and I don't even, you know, I, my girlfriend said to me the other day, she said, you know, our country is so divided and, we keep using words to promote that like fight. And it's like, I got to stop myself. I, I want to replace that word with like work on or work toward because we, we all fight with each other every day. But this, this goal that we need to work toward is bigger and bolder and inclusive and making sure that people of color and women of color are, you know, feeling like, okay, finally, finally, people are paying attention to my needs and not just the needs of, you know, the wealthy and the white people and the rich. And so, you know, I mean, it's, it's really tough because, you know, I'm, I certainly in my limited exposure with her, am not able to convince her <laughs> that Biden isn't the one. I mean, I, I don't know what's going to happen in the upcoming primaries. You know, I don't know how he's going to fare on Super Tuesday. I don't know how, I mean, I think, you know, moving on to the primaries, I think that um, I want to say, uh, Iowa and New Hampshire are not representative of this country in that they're primarily white. And so, you know, when we move over to primary states that are more diverse, I think we're going to get a more accurate reading of what people are thinking. You know, and I mean, yeah. here I'm looking at the New York Times. Last thing I saw was 70% reporting, 71% reporting is in. Buttigieg is barely leading Sanders. So both Sanders and Buttigieg got 11 delegates. Uh, Buttigieg has 26.8%, where Biden has 252 But then there's Elizabeth Warren. She got five delegates and she's got. Bernie, excuse me, you mean Bernie. Did I, what did I say? Got- Biden. I'm sorry. Bernie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Bernie got 11. Buttigieg got 11. And then Bernie got 25.2. And then Elizabeth got 18.4% with five delegates. Joe Biden got 15.4%, but zero delegates. Yeah. Zero. That's Which right. I'm really surprised. I truly am surprised at that number. And so, 
I don't Here's know. Here's the thing, though. I think you hit the nail on the head when you talked about fear a little bit ago. And I don't want to lose sight of that yeah. because I think much of this Democratic primary has been driven by fear. It's been driven by the fear of Trump and the fear of change. Mm-hmm. And the thing about fear is when people are afraid, we don't necessarily make the right decision. No. And here's the, here's the thing about Biden. And if Biden, you know, I'm a progressive activist and I'm very into the political process. So I will watch the candidates while they're on the campaign trail. You know, and for anyone listening, like you can always watch their campaign events. If you, I don't literally go and fly to Iowa to watch them. You can watch them online now. Mm-hmm. You know, that's one of the great things about the digital world. Yeah. So I've been watching Biden's campaign rallies. I've been watching Warren's campaign rallies. I've been watching Sanders' campaign rallies. And I've been watching Buttigieg's campaign rallies. And the thing that I don't want to get lost in all this, because, you know, you hear the corporate media say, oh, but it's an all-white state. Yeah, but... Because of the way, because of the significance of the of the Iowa caucuses, all of these voters in Iowa have seen all of these candidates, right? Mm-hmm. They've watched these candidates at the campaign rallies because the candidates have been campaigning there significantly, significantly for the past six months. So they've seen Biden at these rallies. And what I've been saying over and over again is when you look at the polls and you see how Biden's performing in the polls – and then you watch Biden at the debates or you watch one of Biden's rallies, there is a big disconnect, right? Because you hear these corporate media pundits say, well, he's the most electable. And they've been saying that since he got in the race, which in turn influences voters and mm-hmm. influences polling. But when you watch Biden at the debates or, or at these or at his campaign rallies, he does not look or sound like the most electable. Mm -hmm. And the people in Iowa saw that because they've watched him campaign there for the last six months. And, and that's the thing. Like if Biden was the Biden of 2008 or the Biden of 2012, and I saw Biden had a hunger and had the passion Mm -hmm. and had the fire, then I'd be like, yes, let's put Biden in to go against Trump. But that's the thing that this is not that Biden. This is a different Biden. He, he reminds me of a, of a, sorry to use a sports metaphor, but he reminds me of a pitcher, of a baseball pitcher who's lost about 10 miles an hour on his fastball. Like he doesn't have the passion and the fire that he used to have. And that is significant mm-hmm. because we need, you know, Trump is a fighter and Trump yes. is tough. And we need to send our best fighter into the general. And when you watch him, you know, like he hasn't even won a debate yet. So it's like if he can't win a Democratic debate, how is he going to win a debate against Trump? Yeah, and I'll give um, it to you. I mean, like when you look. And there even- was a re- I want to say one thing because I wrote this down. There's a report <laughs> coming out of Iowa uh, from Jennifer Epstein. She's a reporter uh, for Bloomberg News. And um, Iowa Democrats say Biden's operation was run with a sense of entitlement hmm. with many potential supporters and activists feeling brushed aside. Now, we need to we have to talk about this because this is so important. Like we can't mess this up and the fear can't make us pull back to not have these conversations. That's where the fear can work against us. Right. Because we don't need someone who feels entitled to the nomination. We need someone who will actually roll up their sleeves and campaign and fight for the nomination because how they're campaigning right now is how they're going to campaign in the general election. Mm -hmm. Right. So this is all very, very important stuff. 
Yeah, it is. And I mean, look, I, I don't like to, I don't really like talking about this particular subject uh, and what I'm going to about to say, because I don't want to offend, but I'm just, because it, it could be construed as ageist, but it's not because I look at um, Bernie Sanders who just had a heart attack and he's 78 years old or will be in 2021. And I, I got to say, the guy has energy. You know, he's yep. energetic. He's very yep. clear. He's very well spoken. W- whether you like him or not, I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about the way he performs, how he handles himself. Uh, and, and then there's Warren, who's like the energizer buddy. And I'm not even kidding you. That woman has more energy than I do. Um, I have never seen a, uh, a politician or someone running for president or a candidate who has more energy and stamina yeah and stamina and then not only that i mean she she clearly has not had anything done she has the smoothest skin she has aged (laughs) well you know and i mean i'm bringing this up because i think it's the bigger picture i mean it doesn't really skin doesn't matter when it comes to the presidency but i think what matters is um you know do you have the energy do you have the motivation clearly the woman is you know marching down the street with her feather boa and dancing and she you know i mean she's not perfect i don't want to make i mean she's my your preference she's my preference and i think out of all the candidates that we've got right now and even if we had more different people in there i'd still probably say she's the one i really like her but it's like you know she's got uh, for instance I'll, I'll say why one of the things that you know, she was criticized initially that uh, she wasn't talking about how she's going to pay for Medicare for all. And then what happened was she listened to what people yep. said. She, she said, all right, I'm going to address this and I'm going to change this up because I heard the voters and I'm going to do what I can to make them feel comfortable and how I'm going to pay for this. And she offered a solution and offered a plan. And of course, then she gets a flip flop from some people like, oh, she's flip flopping. It's like, no, she listened. Isn't that what we want? The whole point is that we want to say to our representatives and leaders to say, hey, wait a minute. What about this? And then when they stop and they're like, oh, I hear you. I'm going to make it. It's not pandering. It's listening. And so she has the ability to do that. I'm so glad you brought this up because it's not, and, and, and the healthcare debate is the perfect example of this. You're absolutely right. It's not only that she listened, but she's also the only candidate of the top candidates who's tried to build a bridge yes. between the progressive and the moderate wing of our party. So when you look at healthcare, Joe Biden and Pete Buttigieg have not budged an inch. They're like, they're against Medicare for all. They're attacking Medicare for all. They're only for a public option. And then you look at Bernie Sanders. He has not budged an inch at all. It's Medicare for all or nothing, right? It's my way or the highway revolution. Mm -hmm. When you look at Elizabeth Warren, she's the one (laughs) front-running candidate who has said, okay, I understand the Democratic Party. We're not a progressive party or a moderate party. Mm -hmm. We're a progressive and a moderate party. Mm -hmm. We're both coalitions. So I'm going to thread the needle here on healthcare. I'm going to fight for Medicare for all. I'm not going to be like, like Biden and Buttigieg, and I'm not going to attack and use insurance industry talking points and Republican industry and Republican talking points to attack a progressive policy. I'm going to still fight for Medicare for all, and I'm going to campaign for it, but I'm not going to be, I'm not going to not take any feedback or not listen 
the way Bernie is. And so instead of, you know, ramming Medicare for all down the American people's throat on day one, I'm put out a transition plan mm -hmm. to say, okay, this is the bold vision, universal health care, like every other na democratic nation in the world has. So we know that it can work. But we also know that, like, we need to allow the American people to try it. So on day one, she's going to allow 100 million people into and to, to jump onto Medicare. And so she's literally, you know, for the first three years of her administration, she's going to slowly phase it in. Mm -hmm. And then after people have tried Medicare, then she's going to pass the bill after three years. So mm -hmm. just to have the foresight to be like, OK, let's do both. Let's, you know, public option on day one like Biden and Buttigieg, but like Sanders, she's going to fight for Medicare for all, just not in the very beginning. She's mm -hmm. going to phase it in and have a transition plan. And that is the more uh, pragmatic approach that we can get something like universal health care done in America. And that's what I love about her. And the thing what you say is, is right, is like she takes it from both sides. She takes it from the centrist side mm -hmm. that doesn't want to compromise with the progressives, and she takes it from the progressives who don't want to compromise with the moderates, right? She gets attacked from the Biden folks and the, and the Buttigieg folks, and she also gets attacked from the Bernie folks. But it's because she's the one candidate who's trying to bring all of us together, and she's trying to bridge the gap yeah. in our party. Right. And that's what it's going to take to unify our party. So I'm so glad you brought up that. Healthcare is a perfect example of where she's trying to bring us together, yeah. not tear us apart. Because the other thing I'll just say is, you can't run a campaign for the Democratic nomination and like Biden and Buttigieg are attacking progressives and attacking progressive policies and then expect for progressives to just turn out in mass numbers for you in the general election. Like, that's what I mean. Like, we need to learn how to harness the progressive energy in our party, not to attack it. Yeah. And because I mean, if you look at what happened in Iowa, I mean, the, the amount of young people that went for Biden was almost nothing. Nothing. And, and he pulls. Biden is like... 2% with young voters. That should terrify everybody. That should terrify everybody. He's not going to be able to turn out young voters in the numbers that we need them to. Yeah, and the thing is, is that, okay, he's got the, the, uh, the vote from older people, maybe Gen Xers and up, but and not all Gen Xers. I think a lot of Gen Xers like Warren and they like Bernie. They but, do, actually. I would actually say his, his support is mostly voters who are 60 and older. 60 and older. Um, yeah. but, but then who when turn you... Out, if you look at it strategically, people who are, who are 60 and older, especially Democratic voters, they turn out anyways. It's easy to turn them exactly. out. Exactly. And that's what I was going to say. Unfortunately, like, I know people don't want to hear this, but as a, as a progressive activist who works on getting out the vote, and I helped get out the vote in, in the 2018 midterms, um, you know, through this effort, Build the Wave, um, it is much harder to get younger voters yes. to the polls. And so we... We have to work harder to motivate them and to energize them. So why not use a candidate like Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders who uh, who is going to get turned out in mass? Well, know, yeah. And the voters. thing the thing, too, about the younger voters is right now we do have their attention. Maybe not every yeah. single one of them. But since these killings, people like David Hogg, people like Greta Thunberg, yeah. all of these young people who are making names for themselves because they're speaking out, they're able to reach other young people. Um, we don't want to lose them. And the thing is, right. I, I think the thing is, the thing about Biden that concerns me, and I say this from concern, if he, and I've said this before though, if he were my father, I would be concerned. I would be concerned, can you handle this? Are you going to be able to handle this when, I mean, obviously the dude 
he's he's kind of like our version of the Teflon Don, where he's had a lot of shit thrown at him, and no one cares. You know whether. Well, but let's be. But he, he, that's true. But everything just changed in Iowa. Well, it because did. you can't make – and his whole argument for president is he's the most electable. Right. Well, the most electable doesn't finish a distant fourth place in a Democratic primary contest in Iowa. Yeah, and if I, he's I really, totally agree. the most electable, he needed to finish number one or number two, and he finished fourth. So now we have to be start to be honest about this because yeah. let's see how he does in New Hampshire next week. I, I think he's going to have trouble in New Hampshire. Yeah, and it just you goes know? to show you – I mean I have been saying recently that I'm I'm – you know, concerned that he, maybe he's going to be the one. Maybe wrong word is concerned, but you know, I want Warren, but I fear maybe Biden's the one that's going to get it. Okay, if he gets it, but I think the reason I've been saying that is because that's what we've been fed. That's what we have been fed with polling. Yes, and polling is. And what I right. would say to you right now, if I'm being very pragmatic and just being honest about things, <laughs> you know who's going to get the nomination right now? Who looks like is going to get the nomination? Bernie yeah, Sanders. It, right now, that's what it looks like. And, and, and you know why? Because when Elizabeth Warren was soaring, the centrists in our party, the corporate media, and the billionaire class got so scared and got – it's, it's the greed that has mm-hmm. taken over our political system. A two-cent wealth tax is supported by Republicans. Yeah. It's the most po- bipartisan policy right now in America overwhelming independents, Democrats, and Republicans, 62% of Republicans and 80% of the country support Elizabeth Warren's two-cent wealth tax because people can feel it. The money isn't trickling down. We are living in a new gilded age where the, where the income inequality is now at the highest it's been in America in a half century. So when Trump talks about the booming economy, it's not booming for work. No, it isn't. It's booming for corporations and wealthy CEOs. So Warren puts out a brilliant policy that says if you make over $50 million a year, if you're, if you're worth, excuse me, if you're worth over $50 million, you need to pitch in two cents for every dollar you make after that $50 million. Mm-hmm. And with that money, we are going to pay for, you know, universal child care, universal college, mm-hmm. you know, tech school, and write off student loan debt for 43 million Americans. And that, what people don't realize is that alone, a single mom right now pays about 12000 to $15,000 a year on child care. Elizabeth Warren's wealth tax will literally lift up mm-hmm. working families. They won't have to pay that $12,000 a year anymore for child care. So that's what I mean. It's not just a tax on the on wealth to even out, uh, you know, the inequality in our economy. It's actually going to pay for policies that lift up working families. Right. And so that's what we need in this country to start to even the playing field to make the American dream a reality again for working people. Yeah, because when the middle class thrives, the country thrives. Forty three million people is going to lift up all these these millennials and all Mm -hmm. these generation Xers and Generation Zers who now can put money and buy their first home because they're not saddled with student loan debt. So progressive policies stimulate the economy for working people. But right now we live in a country that only looks at the economy based on the stock market. Well, the stock market doesn't measure the economy for working people and for people who are struggling. You know, so so we've got to start thinking more strategically about these things and that's what Elizabeth Warren is doing. And so I hope as this contest continues that 
more people are going to start to see that like that bold change is going to inspire the voters that we need to beat Donald Trump. Yeah, well, Bernie, I mean, Bernie's been, you know, basically campaigning since 2015. He's been building this huge coalition. He's been building this following. And he does have that over Warren. And right now, Iowa is telling us, I mean, even though if Buttigieg, you know, here's my take on the Buttigieg win. I think that it is um, not something he's going to be able to pull off all the way through the primaries. I think that once you get into South Carolina, um, he's going to have issues because he right now he doesn't have the support of the black community and this was an interesting tweet by not even just the black community or the or the latinx community right He's polling at a dismal two percent with voters of color yeah and 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 uh i think navid jamali who was just on the show on monday uh made a really good point and he he had said he worked on people to judge's campaign and he said you know uh this is more of a reflection on the electorate than it is pete but here we have a man who really doesn't have as much experience and he has um soared where people who have a, a lot more experience women people of color have had to leave the race and you know it, it's no reflection on him per se it's it's on voters um that they weren't sustaining those people of color you know uh candidates and, and women candidates. Um, but I do think that it's going to be very interesting to see what happens on uh, Super Tuesday because we've got South Carolina. Now, Biden could really, you know, all we've been seeing, right, you know, since he came into the race is that the black community is totally behind him. So there's so there's a huge population of uh, African-Americans in South Carolina. It'll be interesting to see how that pans out. But then we're also going to have California. Is Texas involved in, in, in Super Tuesday? Do you know? Uh, I think this year, I'm not certain. I know California is in Super yeah, this year. Yeah, that's going to be a big one. So I think yeah. it's going to be fascinating to see what, you know, shakes out. Because it's really tough to determine at this point in time where things are going to go. Because I don't think Iowa, it used to be about whether it used to be indicative of who was going to go on to the nomination. But this is not... This we are not in normal times, and no. I think we've learned from 2016 that polling. Okay, it's good to pay attention to it, but we can't put all our stock into it because it's not always right. And you know, we also have this um, disinformation. You know, I mean, as soon as there was that whole, we don't know what's happening in Iowa. The next morning, there was the mayor cheat and and President Sanders and whatever stupid hashtags were out that were, I'm sure, put out by the Russians and amplified by people who were just disgruntled or upset. And so, you know, there are all these things that are filtering into our decision making. And I, I just what it will come down to, though, is what happens in these primaries. And I don't Absolutely. know that we're in a position right now. I mean, you can take a look at Iowa and say, yeah, Bernie did really well. Um, even if Pete walks away with it, you, if, if Bernie, you know, is that close, then yes, he's definitely the one that could, that could make that difference in California and in South Carolina if he's got the support of a much larger uh, group than just the kind of people in Iowa. And it's not. I also think we need to step back too in in in, in Iowa because Iowa is a more conservative mm-hmm. state, right? We had two progressive candidates I know. finish in the top three. Yeah, that's big. While we had the we had the standard bear and the the centrist and the Democratic establishment candidate and Joe Biden finish in a distant fourth. Mm-hmm. So this idea of electability, what I think we all need to be open to is it's changing. Mm-hmm. It's different. Yes, it is and changing. And if we want a candidate who's going to appeal to not just, you know, 
more moderate voters and, and white moderates, essentially, if we want a candidate who's going to appeal to younger voters and voters of color, particularly energize younger voters of color, progressive candidates are speaking more to the issues that they, are, they care about. Like, even when you look at the black vote, actually, the black vote is actually is symbiotic of how the overall vote in our party goes, because when you look at younger black voters, they don't support Joe Biden. Mm -hmm. They support Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders, mostly Bernie Sanders right now. So so I think, you know, for years, traditional polling, you know, polling, polling relies on historical turnout models. OK, mm -hmm. well, when 100 million people right. aren't voting. Yeah. They're not even captured in these polling models, right? right. They're looking at polling models so from true. 2016 and 2012. That's how they base it. So, and traditionally, younger voters don't turn out in large numbers. Well, guess what? If we run a candidate who speaks to the issues that younger voters care about, issues like climate change and healthcare and gun violence, then younger voters are going to turn out in massive mm -hmm. numbers. And if we speak to uh, economic issues for working people, then those people who've been disenchanted with both sides of the party because they feel like both sides of the party abandoned them, we can win those voters back with a bold, progressive economic vision for our country that says our economy isn't great if it's not working for working people, mm -hmm. right? That's what this is about. This is about building a more equitable America that doesn't just work for corporations and billionaires, that, that doesn't just work for a handful of white men at the top, but that works for everybody and that lifts up working people, voters of color and listens to young people as young people are telling us right now that they're concerned about the sustainability of our planet. Right. Young people are the ones who are going to bear the brunt yeah. of the climate crisis. Many of us won't be here in 50 years when 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 the real effects are going to be seen. So I just think that. While Trump is a nightmare president and he is so scary, I also think that we can't forget that we still need to dream big. Yeah. And that's what I like about Elizabeth, Elizabeth Warren's campaign. She's reminding us that, like, yes, we are in a crisis. But when, we're, when, but when you're in a crisis, when your back is up against the wall, you don't back down from the big fights. You don't settle for what is safe. You 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 step into what you believe in and you figure out what you believe in and you fight for it. Yeah. Right. You get out there and talk about the difference that you're going to make in our country. And I think Warren's bold vision, Sanders bold vision. That's what really separates those two candidates. And, you know, the other thing I'll say about Buttigieg, I think is important is you look at his support. It's very interesting. He doesn't have support from younger voters. Hmm. All of Biden's support in Iowa went to Buttigieg. Yes. So his voters are more – they're white voters and they're older and they're more moderate because these voters think that, oh, he's young, so, so he, he represents change. But, in the, but the truth is like he's not really fighting for anything different. You know, he, he's like another centrist politician just repackaged in a younger box. He's kind of fighting for the same centrist policies that got us here. Well, he got, and if you know, he really want real change. That's Elizabeth Warren. That's yes. not Pete Buttigieg. I, I agree with you. And I think that with Pete, he just needs, you know, he, as Amy Klobuchar has pointed out, he's won election with like 8,000 votes. Whereas, you know, both she and Elizabeth Warren and everybody else on that stage has won elections with a lot more people voting for them. I just think right. with Pete, you know, 
he got a lot of attention very quickly. And I think some of it's, you know, some of it is deserved because he, what I like about him is, you know, he's got that kind of Obama quality where he's calm and he's always got an answer uh, as far as he doesn't have to think about it. Okay, I know what I'm going to say here. And he does come from a place of, I want to unite the country. And I think people like hearing that. Um, But that said, you know, experience and the fact that he's polling so low with young voters and, and with people of color, he just needs to get some time, go, you know, whether it's, in, you know, whether whoever, I don't think he's going to be the nominee. So whoever becomes, hopefully, the Democratic president can, like, put him in the administration somewhere or he can run for a, a House position or a Senate position, get some experience, get some, exper- you know, relationships with people in Congress, build up trust in the communities with younger people and people of color, and then he can come back with a better understanding right. of how, I think right now he just, you know, he, he soared so quickly and now he's just like okay well this is what I got this is who I am and I think that he could just broaden his appeal and broaden his message with you know maybe five ten years of experience behind him and then come into a presidential uh candidate field and really impress everyone like everyone but that's on him and he's gonna have to do that but I am with you because I think that um you know I'm last election was not just devastating, it like fucked with me. And so I told myself in this election, as much as I like anybody, I'm going to do my best to emotionally not get too attached because, you know, I I don't want to cry. I don't want to feel bad. But what I do remind myself of, no matter what, if Elizabeth Warren uh, does not get the nomination and I really, I'm going to vote for her. I, I hope she gets it. I remind myself that, um, you know, the Equal Rights Amendment did just pass in Virginia and I did not expect to see that. I came to that advocacy late in the game in 2012, but I put all of every, you know, I, I put so much blood, sweat and tears into it. Mostly I worked online, but I was able And I I give myself a pat on the back for this because, um, you know, I was able to get the interest of Alyssa Milano. And I think that her voice, when she learned that the Equal Rights Amendment hadn't been ratified, I think that, you know, there were so many other people, hundreds of thousands of people on the ground doing the work to get the word out, to pressure legislators and everything. Her voice was that, like, needed voice to put the emphasis on all the work that had been done prior to her coming to this. But then she has this huge platform and passion for it. You know, she quickly, she was such a quick study. She learned the great talking points. And I think her voice amplified all of the work everybody did and and that pushed it over the edge and so that's kind of how I try to look at whether you know I mean we've had a black man as a president but we've never had a woman and I feel like I it's it's an emotional thing for me um and so I'm trying to be like emotionally detached and say, I'm just going to try to look at this from an analytical point of view, because if it doesn't happen this time, I don't want it to devastate me because it will happen. It's just, absolutely, you know, and the other thing that's important is we won't have any progressive change if Donald Trump gets reelected. No. Right. And so some of us are understand the situation we're in. We understand the, 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 the big problems and the systemic problems that we have in our country. And we understand that to fix these problems, it requires big structural change. Yeah. But we also understand that 
if we don't get the big change that we want, we know that even incremental change is better than a white nationalist <laughs> in the Oval Office, right? Hell so to we the are yes. going to unite. But I also think we need to, I think you said something important a minute ago when you said that, when you talk about that, that voters are appealing, that they're appealed to when, when Buttigieg argues about bringing the nation together. Mm-hmm. And Biden makes a similar argument. Right. I think we need to be very clear about this. The Democratic Party, we cannot be the party anymore that just sells hope and change. We have to be the party Deliver. that delivers yes. hope and change. Yes. And that we will not heal this nation with a Band-Aid. No. Our wounds are far too deep, right? We have an economy that is rigged for the rich. Our government has been corrupted with big money and is owned essentially by corporations and billionaires. Our healthcare system is broken. Our president is a con man. And the GOP has become a white nationalist party. So we need to... in many ways, when you look at just the, the, the deep problems, like until we have fundamental change, we're not going to heal this nation, right? How do you bring America together? Listen, when everyone has health care and everyone has a good job, I guarantee you that we're going to get along better. Yeah. When there's not this much inequality in our economy, I guarantee you we're going to get a, we're going to get along better. You know, when we have when the racial wealth gap isn't this wide, I mean, when you look at the racial wealth gap, it is almost where it was right before the civil rights movement. Mm-hmm. That, you know, there was a, there was a chart today by, uh, by this economist who shows just how racist our economy is. And so when we don't have this much racial inequity in our economy, we will get along better. But my point I'm making is we're not going to fix any of these systemic problems with just small ideas Mm -hmm. and incremental change. And the last thing I want to leave people with about Elizabeth Warren, and I think what really separates her from Bernie Sanders, is that while Bernie Sanders talks about the big ideas very well, and he's very compelling about why we need bold change, Elizabeth Warren doesn't just talk about it. She's actually accomplished big structural change. When Barack Obama was elected, after one of the worst recessions in history, and he had to clean up George Bush's mess. Who did Barack Obama call on? He called on Elizabeth Warren, and she set up the Consumer Finance Protection Bureau, which has returned $12.1 billion to over 31 million Americans who've been stiffed by big banks and have been stiffed uh, by credit card companies. Mm -hmm. Right. So Warren's already showed us that big structural change works and that she can get it done. Yes. Right. We need to stop doubting her. Just look at her record. She's already done this. And that to me is she brings the progressive agenda, but she also brings the pragmatic approach and that she's accomplished a progressive Mm -hmm. agenda. Absolutely. And you know what? You're one of the best people to follow. If you want to, if you want to keep up on what Warren is doing and why she's the best person for the job, I don't think there's anybody who's more enthusiastic about her than you. And I'm grateful that you're out there um, pushing her because she deserves it. And it's, I think, you know, what you just said, people doubt her. Part of the reason it's because she's a woman and we're still living in a patriarchal society. 
while many of us are not under that ether of the patriarchy, or at least not all the way under, uh, too many of us get caught up in the idea that, oh, well, a woman isn't strong and she can't handle herself against Trump. And that's just bullshit. Look at Nancy Pelosi. Look at how she handles herself. And Elizabeth Warren is kind of like, and I said this when I was on your podcast, she's kind of like the Mrs. Rogers uh, compared to him. So he's like this, he's like Jabba the Hutt and she's like, Mrs. Rogers, and she's going to be able to calm you. She's going to be able to, you know, let you know that you matter. And, and, and she's the one at the end of the day who has more strength because she may be softer in her approach, but she's much stronger and she's much more capable than Jabba the Hutt. (laughs) Well, and I would also say too, is, is, but when you listen to Warren and you, and you watch her, she's also a fighter. Well, she is. Yeah, and she she's, is. She's one of the strongest, toughest, most fearless. You know, I mean, she's taken on when people when people say to me, like, how is she going to debate against Donald Trump? I, 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 I literally I'm like, she's taken on Wall Street and she's won. <laughs> she's taken on big banks and she's won. She's taken on big oil and she's won. She's taken on big pharma and she's won. She's taken on the, the entire billionaire class and convinced America that we need to tax them two cents. And she's won that argument. So you have a woman who is fearless enough to take on the most powerful people in America, and she's taking them on, and she's winning. The only thing she needs now is for us to rally behind her and to trust her. She has the courage. She has the strength. It's the fear in the electorate that's holding her back. It's mm-hmm. the Democrats who still in their in their minds are worried about it. But when you just watch her, that's why I supported her. You know, I'm not even supporting her because she's a woman. Oh, I think that's great. I'm supporting her because she's shown me that she has the courage to fight back against the corruption in our country. And win. Because yeah. if we don't fight back against these powerful interests, Kimberly, nothing will change. I hate to say it. Yeah. Will Joe Biden be a better president than Donald Trump? Of course. He won't be a white supremacist. He won't be tweeting, you know, derogatory things every day. He he will be much better. He will he bring more stability? Yes. Will Joe Biden bring more equality to our economy? Probably not. Mm-hmm. Will he fix some of these fundamental problems in our country? Probably not. And so I think right now is the time for us to be bold and to be brave. Now, after the primary is done, if our party and if my party decides that that's not what we need and that they want to take a more safe approach or a more cautious approach, I am going to campaign and fight for Joe Biden or Pete Buttigieg or whoever we nominate just as hard as I would fight for Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren. And just because I point out things about weak spots in Biden, it doesn't mean that I'm not going to go out there and campaign my heart out for him. Of course I will, because I want nothing more than for Donald Trump to be out of office. I also, as an activist, though, who cares deeply about the inequality in our country and the racial inequities in our country, and um, I I also unapologetically fight for real change, because I know that these policies that Warren is proposing is going to lift up the people who are struggling. So that's part of it, right? Like, I'm not an activist because I'm fighting for a CEO of a giant giant insurance corporation to get a $7 million bonus right. every year. I'm fighting so that everyone in America will have health care, so that health care will be a universal right, just like it is in every democracy in Europe. 
You know, that's why I'm in this. That's why I am an activist. So while different levers of our government serve different functions, right? Congress and the, and the executive branch, they're very important in our democracy, but activism and activists on the ground is just as important. And it's important for us to push the message and to be unapologetic in our fights, but also to understand, and I'll tell this now to every progressive activist who's listening, don't be so short-sighted that if we lose the primary, that we quit the fight because right. we are in a progressive renaissance in America. From AOC to Ilhan Omar to Rashida Tlaib to Ayanna Presley, we have seen more progressives run on bold vision and win than we've seen in years in this country. So this progressive movement is just getting started. And if a, and if a more moderate wins the primary, that doesn't mean that our movement's over. Right. It just means that we fight even harder. And it means that we fight for the moderate because our movement is going to take a huge step back if Donald Trump wins re-election. Mm -hmm. We can still, we can push Joe Biden if he's the president to harder on climate change. Mm -hmm. We can push Pete Buttigieg harder on climate change. We can't push Donald Trump at all because he doesn't want to hear anything. Mm -hmm. So although if a moderate wins, we're going to be pushing them and there'll be a little bit of resistance <laughs> still, it's not going to be this dire doom and gloom that we mm -hmm. have with Trump. So as progressive as I am, I also see it differently than some progressives do. You know, don't cut off our nose despite our face. Yes. Understand that this is a long battle and we're just getting started. So, you know, I'm hopeful. I am more hopeful than I've ever been, Kimberly, because of people like you, because of people like the Sunrise Movement, because of people like David Hoff and, you know, March for Our Lives and people like Black Women 4 and, and all these groups that are out there fighting for real change in our country. I am so hopeful. So let's continue that hope and let's not allow the fact that some in our party are more passionate about change stop us from uniting in the general because I'm going to be the first person to be the voice of unity in the general. Well, first of all, I just want to say thank you for your endless activism because you are you are tireless and I appreciate it and of course thank you for coming on my show and I think you know I've had uh, I had Steve Schmidt on not too long ago and as much as I can respect some of his points of view he did kind of try to blame Democrats for Trump and you know he, he had that whole never Trumper feel and, and a couple of my listeners were like hey <laughs> so I think everybody's going to feel like oh we just got washed <laughs> we were that washed right. out. we have the, the Ryan uh, progressive shower that just washed us clean so thank you for coming on the show thank you oh, for thank your you enthusiasm for because you're really appreciated I really appreciate it Kimberly and I just want to end too is look the never Trumpers like Steve Schmidt I have a lot of respect for them well, yeah, um, me too. I would just say that, you know, they know how to win Republican elections. They do. And, and, well, and we got to win maybe the Steve Democratic Schmidt primary doesn't. and the Democratic <laughs> election in the general. And I would just, I would just, I want to leave people with this because when people get inundated with CNN and MSNBC yeah. and the more corporate media coverage of politics, they, they, they miss this point. There is more than one path to the White House. Yeah. Right. Most people think the only path is the more moderate path, that we have to, uh, you know, focus more on, on, on pandering to Republicans. That's one path, but there's also another path, and it's the progressive path. And that path is energizing our base, energizing independence, and 
speaking to those 100 million voters who didn't vote in 2016. Mm -hmm. That's what progressives can do. With a big, bold approach, we can build and expand our coalition and also energize younger voters. So there is more than one path. Being moderate is not the only path to the White House. It's the path that we've taken the most. And ironically, I would just tell people, when we've taken the more moderate approach and with Gore and Kerry and even Clinton in 2016, we've lost. Mm -hmm. But when we went with Obama in 2008, who actually ran a very progressive campaign mm -hmm. and a very yes. dynamic campaign, even though he governed more moderately. Mm -hmm. Obama showed that a progressive, big, bold vision can win. So let's be open to both sides. Let's not just think, oh, we can only have a moderate or oh, we can only have a progressive. But the corporate media tells us yeah. that, oh, we have to have a moderate, you know, and they overlook the fact that a progressive can energize parts, voters who've never voted, get them off the sidelines. It can energize younger voters, independents, voters of color. And so there's, there's more than one way to do this is all yes. I'd say. Absolutely. <laughs> well, <laughs> you are you so absolutely much. right. Well, yeah, thank you too. And tell everybody where, I mean, look, you have what, 300,000 followers, but tell them where to find you anyway, just in case. Awesome. Uh, you can go to Twitter and you can add me at, at proud resistor. And you can also download my weekly podcast. I've had Kimberly on. I had you on, a, I think, last month. You were fantastic. Oh. Uh, my podcast is on Apple Podcasts. It's uh, basically wherever you get your podcasts. You can subscribe. It's called Amped Up with Proud Resistor. And, uh, yeah, thanks again, Kimberly, for everything you're doing and for using your platform to fight for bold progressive change. And, uh, you know, no matter what happens, I look forward to continuing this journey with you. Definitely. Well, you take care, Ryan. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, that was different than Steve Schmidt, huh? <laughs> Ryan is so passionate. He is so sold on Warren. And I mean, I'm totally all there. I, I agree with everything you said about Warren. Um, you know, I, I have a tendency to, um, like I said earlier, you know, my, my emotions were just killed. Uh, it was emotionally more than just draining. It was a devastating experience in 2016 for a number of reasons. And mainly it was because uh, Trump won. But, you know, after all of that, I thought to myself, all right, I just need to take a more analytical approach to politics as instead of a, at least I should say, not to politics per se, but to the elections. Because the elections are... God, they're just so heated and it's like up and down and you never know. And But I want to say this. I think that it's important to stress right now that Iowa is not indicative of who's going to be the nominee at this point. I don't know what's going to happen uh, as we move forward. And, you know, there was an app problem. There was a phone problem. It's going to get figured out because there were paper ballots and they're tr traceable. So we're going to get this figured out. But I'm just talking about in general of, you know, the Iowa caucus usually gives us our candidate or it tells us, uh, uh, you know, gives us a tra trajectory. I don't think that's happening this time outside of the fact that what Ryan said, I was really surprised to see, at least with the um, early numbers that were coming in, and I don't know how accurate they were, but, you know, Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders got a lot of votes, and I was actually kind of surprised. I thought Joe Biden would take it. I thought maybe Pete Buttigieg, because he's definitely had the numbers uh, for some time. So I was surprised to see that, and, and like I said, it'll be interesting to see how we go. Now, I want to make one little announcement. Bob Suska popped in uh, and gave me a note. Romney is voting to convict Trump. So there's that. I think that's kind of interesting. Obviously, Susan Collins is not. Uh, neither, I don't think Lisa Murkowski is, but Romney is. 
So that doesn't make me like Romney. It makes me appreciate him on that particular vote. But hmm, that's interesting. Um, all right, I guess that's going to be it. That was a that was a nice long conversation with Ryan. Uh, let me know what you thought. Do you agree with them? I know a lot of you do. Of course, Ziggy Blue, I know what you're thinking. You're like, right on. Um, I'm totally with him as far as, you know, everything he says about Elizabeth Warren. I think she's fantastic. And Ryan makes a really good argument. He brings up a lot of good points uh, that I don't necessarily always cover uh, because I, I think that, like I said earlier, I get a little emotional. So I'm trying not to be too emotional. But Ryan definitely covered all those bases. Uh, let's see. Next week, I'm going to be talking with... Oh, Cliff Schechter's coming on on Monday. That's going to be fun. And then you probably know Cliff from Bob Seska's show if you listen to him. He's awesome. Um, and then also I'm going to be, Steph is going to come back on Wednesday. So we're going to do that. And I think that, let's see, I'm going to talk to, I have her down for the 17th, um, the Volatile Mermaid, who goes by Onoshi Twittent. And then who else do I have? Uh, oh, no, I, I'm going to try to get... Uh, um, feminist next door on the 26th of February. I'm going to see if she's available, but you know, she's a lawyer. She's very busy. So, uh, we're going to go for that. But again, you can follow me on Twitter at author Kimberly and that's K I M B E R L E Y. You can go to amazon.com and you can find all of my books there. Peyton's choice, which I just realized I had spelled it wrong in my bio on Twitter. Uh, fucking typos and uh so american woman the pole dance ain't no sunshine and the virgin diaries check them out and also don't forget please go to itunes and subscribe it's free subscribe to the start me up podcast i always link it in the patreon description and don't forget as i say at the beginning become a patron or you can do a one-time donation either way i am an independent woman-run podcast so any help is appreciated uh see you next monday